Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, it's Drea. It's Jackie. And we're back for another Murder Monday episode. Of Killer Cocktails. Bum, bum, bum. And this one is a cool little episode because we decided to, I don't know, honor Game of Thrones in the last, mm-hmm. you know, episode of the final season. I was about to sing the theme song. <gasps> and then right before I started, I realized I was going to sing the wrong <gasps> what are you gonna theme sing? song. I was going to sing uh, the final countdown. Well, it is the final, you know. It is, but that is the dun, wrong dun, song. Dun, 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 floppy uh, weena, floppy weena, <laughs> floppy right. weena. Have <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen that uh, South Park episode? It's really funny and gets stuck in your head. Anywho, so um, hopefully everybody watched the Game of Thrones um, last episode yesterday. Oh, the end of an era. I'm so sad. I'm going to miss it. What am I going to watch now? And I'm now because we record earlier, obviously, mm-hmm. I don't know how it ends, mm-hmm. but I feel it in my bones that I'm going to be satiated and fine with the ending. Yeah. You think they're going to wrap it up with a nice little bow? There will be things that they don't, mm-hmm. but I, I think on the whole, I will be happy with the story that was told. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, no, I, I agree. I think I'll be happy, but I think Danny is just going to turn on Jon Snow. I think she's just... She's got the Iron Throne in her eyes. Yeah, she's love got, aside. She's got a little crazy in her eyes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully it was a great episode. I know we're dying to watch it. Hopefully mm-hmm. you guys watched it. Anywho, so we're going to get back to what we're here for, the murder. Yeah. But first, we're going to talk about the cocktail. Um, because this is a Game of Thrones inspired um, episode, we decided to make this cocktail called Wildfire, a Game of Thrones inspired cocktail. Uh, we found this on ellietalk.com um and the pictures that she made are rad they're super cool it's like on fire it's bright green it looks like wildfire yeah she's got like shards of ice at the bottom it looks awesome so we're like this will be great our version what could go wrong well then you put dre and jackie into the mix well first of all guys it involved layering so yeah we already know that we did not do this drink right and it it calls for so much it, um so you got your midori which is that bright green melon liqueur melon liqueur you got watermelon vodka Blech. you have red, regular vodka mm. simple syrup and then you have your bacardi 151 to get that flame mm-hmm. um we could not get a flame to start our life nope. or start our- <laughs> to, start, to start our life we could not get a flame it's um you are two shits to the wind <laughs> damn it um yeah, this cocktail, I don't know, Jackie, how do you, what would you describe the taste? Someone out there likes it. It's very sweet. Like a cloying sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it has, like, I, I mean, I can taste all the flavors that are supposed to be in. It's like, it tastes like booze. Mm-hmm. It tastes like sugar. Mm-hmm. It tastes like fake melon flavor. Yeah. You could taste the green. Yeah. And like, especially mine, because we kept pouring 151 in there to try to set it on fire. Mine's boozy. It tastes kind of like you'd think it would taste, I guess. Yeah. Um, So I would put this in the cocktail. 
<laughs> and in case you're not hip on our lingo yet, a cocktail is a cocktail that has failed. Yeah. Um, not one that we would recommend. Yeah. I mean, it looks super cool. And maybe if they make it and make it better, maybe it's better than what we're having. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if you tweak it, you know, like put a little bit more simple syrup, less vodka. Or maybe vodka. you can follow directions better than us. <laughs> Jackie, I'm an amazing baker. I burn 90% of what I bake, which means 10% makes it through. Um, but yeah, overall, I don't know, make yourself a different drink. But thank you for ellietalk.com. Dude, for sure. It's um, very cool. It's yeah, a cool yeah, drink. it's a cool drink. Um, so I don't really have any backstory to this cocktail. How other, did you get into Game of Thrones? Other than, I was going to tell you some Game of oh. Thrones trivia. Perfect. Um, in case you don't know, George R.R. R. Martin is the author. And he first wrote the books back in August 1st of 1996. Back in the day. Back in the day. And that's all I really looked up while we sat here. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's not done writing yet. He's not. But he has told the writers. So basically, he sat down with uh, the two dudes that are showrunners. Mm-hmm. And because he's been pitched a million times. People want to make movies. People want to make shows. Mm-hmm. These guys sat down. He's like, all right, if you want to make my books into a show, tell me who Jon Snow's mother is. Oh. And they knew. Yeah. I mean, it was a guess, but they were on it. And he was like, Because right. he hadn't written that in the book so far? No. Oh. But he left clues. And he led people there. So <gasps> he was like, these guys read the books. These guys mm-hmm. love the story. I trust them with the narrative. So as the show started to catch up with the books and start to outpace it, or somewhere before that, uh, George sat down with the showrunners and was like, here's the arc this is where it ends. These are the major plot points that have to happen um, so that they understood the framework. So it, it would, there'll be deviations off of the books and there have mm-hmm. been deviations off of the books or they'll blend characters just because there's so many characters in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it should end in theory, similar to how it was conceptually designed. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. We should be getting the original storyline. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. With, so with some added flair. So and, you're saying like the end of the series will the end be of the, like books the books should be what was intended by George R. R. Martin when he began the books. You mean the show? Sorry. Yes. Okay. The show. The show should. Okay. Awesome. Be relatively close to the story that was started out with. In the I'm books. so excited. I really, really, really wanted to rewatch all of them. I know. There's just no time. Kyle. Well, I don't know. I could find some time, but Kyle put his foot down. He's like, "That's too much." And I was like, "So what?" Kimmy did it in three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> nice job, Kimberly. That's hard to do. Yeah. But um, no, I'm super excited for this series and I'm excited to see where it ends. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Are and you ready? Have that crash that you've just lost a great show crash. Yeah. Breaking Bad. Oh, my God. When I lost that Breaking gave... Bad. There's got to be a term for that. Yeah. It's like you're in show morning. Weeds. Weeds. I was sad with that, too. Oh, that show got so silly, but I was going to yeah. follow it to I the mean, end. you had to. It's like Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> things, yeah, silly things that are never going to happen, happen. <laughs> um, but yeah. All right. Is it murder time? Yes. All right. Okay. I'm going to attempt to tell you my story from memory. Okay. And if I blow through it too quickly, then I'll pull up my notes and put in some more detail. Or you can ask me questions and I'll fill in. Okay. So I'm going to tell you about Rodney Alcala. Okay. Alcala, Alcala. Um, he was, here, I'll open this up to get the birth date right. Born in Texas on August 23rd, 1943. 
Okay. Um, he, I'm trying to think where I want to, let's start in 1968. Okay. So now we're in 1968. He had a brief stint in the military. Um, his father, I think his family is from Mexico. So at some point when he's a young kid, his grandmother gets sick. So the family goes down to like visit her. Then the dad kind of disappears. They end up back in the States. Um, so there's kind of a turmoilish, but also kind of relatively normal childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, again, goes into the military um, right out of high school. Um, he does pretty well like the first year. And then there's like a, a shift or a change in him. And he's not as together as he had been. He's not as on the ball with the, with whatever his function is. Um so they order a psychological test, mm-hmm. and he essentially fails it and comes back as diagnosed by the military as uh, an antisocial personality disorder. Okay. And what exactly is that? Um, I could be wrong. We might want to Google this, but I think it is a different term for a psycho, a psychopath. Okay. Or sociopath. We're Googling it real quick. Antisocial personality disorder. A mental health disorder characterized by disregard for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, psychopaths are sociopaths, but sociopaths are not necessarily psychopaths. It's great that you remember that. I can't. Okay. Antisocial personality disorder describes an ingrained pattern of behavior in which individuals consistently disregard and violate the rights of others. Um, the more, uh, harmful or dangerous behavior patterns are referred to as a, a sociopath or a psychopath. Okay. Yeah. So he's diagnosed that okay. at a relatively young adult age by the military and discharged. Okay. And dishonorably, I'm guessing. Um, or can they dishonorably if it's a medical? No, I think it's just an, an honorable discharge because okay. it's medical. I yeah. think you're, I don't know that to be fact, but I think that's yeah. true. So he's discharged from the military and he is a, he's a talented photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm gonna get the timeline of when he had these jobs. So at one point he worked for like the LA times, he did freelance work. He, he's kind of bopped around, but always he's very personable. So while he doesn't care about other people, mm-hmm. he's incredibly charming mm-hmm. and, uh, kind of ingratiates himself with other people and he's well-liked. I think that's a skill they pick up in order to get in. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1968, there's an eight-year-old girl. Her name is Tali Shapiro and she's walking to school. Mm -hmm. So it's the late sixties. It's totally fine for an eight-year-old to just Mm -hmm. walk to school or a four-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) So she's walking to school and another guy, I don't know if he's a father or what. There's just a dude who's out in the world. And he sees a, I think it's a van, pull up next to her while she's walking and get in the van. No. And the guy watching it is like, uh, this doesn't sit right. Yeah. There's, I don't know if they know each other. I don't know anything about it. I just, there's a kid. Yeah. Getting in a car with someone. Listen to your gut. I don't like it. Yeah. Gets in his car, follows them. Okay. Follows them all the way back to Rodney's house. <gasps> I think it's an apartment, but follows him back to his domicile. And calls the police. And he's like, hey, I just saw this little girl walking down the street. This guy picked her up. They went back to this house. I don't I don't know, but I'm telling you. Yeah. The police get there. They're knocking on the door. Rodney comes to the door, and he's kind of, like, disheveled and being weird. The police officer later says, you know, in hindsight, it's 2020. Yeah. But the police officer's like, 
he looked evil. Yeah. And they're like, hey, let us in. And he's like, I'm just getting out of the shower. It's going to be a minute. And he's like, to like shuts the door back. And he's not answering the door. So they let that go on for a couple of seconds. Yeah. Um, and then they kick the door down. Yeah. They enter the apartment. They're kind of sweeping to try. Mm-hmm. And they see there's a body <gasps> in the kitchen. Oh, no. So they're, one, trying to make sure it's safe in the house and he's not yes. there and going to attack them. And then, two, they've got a little girl who who they believe to be dead. She's yeah. not breathing. And then upon closer inspection, she's not dead. <gasps> So they try to revive the girl. Yeah. They get, and she does end up living. Okay. Um, Rodney, as soon as he had shut the door, uh, fled. Fled. He went yeah. out the back door. Yeah. So he's not there. So he's oh gone. God. But they're in his house with his name. Like yeah. They, they know yeah, yeah. Rodney Alcala is mm-hmm. the dude who did it. Thank God for that bystander. Yes. He saved that little girl's life. Yes. And like the worst that would have come of it if it if they knew each other was, oh, this was a misunderstanding. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh and, and God. for the police for taking it seriously. Yeah. For the police to gauge that situation and be like, this guy should be answering this door. Yes. All all yes. those things went right. Yes. So the little girl, um, I think at this point, it's a big enough deal that Rodney ends up on the FBI's most wanted list. Sorry, quick question. Sure. Was he strangling her? Did she have blood? Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. Strangling her with a pipe. <gasps> ah! Oh, my God. Poor Strangulation baby. will be his thing. Okay. Oh, God, there's more. So... He's off in the wind. FBI most wanted list. Okay. Um, in the meantime, Talia's family moves to another country. Mm-hmm. And I think they go down to Mexico City. Wow. And they're like, it's dangerous in America. We're not going to be Is that here. where they're from? I forgot. I don't know that they're from okay. there. But that's never really said or I didn't read that anywhere. Um, I would imagine if you're moving to, you go somewhere that you have some sort of ties. Yeah, or, lineage or something. Because um, Mexico City isn't also like less dangerous than LA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would imagine there's you feel comfortable there for some reason. Yeah. So he's, that's 1968. So then um, he ends up over in like New York for a little bit. He kind of bops to a bunch of different places. At one point, he then changes his name to, I think John, but the last name is Berger. (laughs) He goes to NYU Uh and goes he's in film school he has he's in a very elite group like out of a thousand people that all want to be in this film class Mm -hmm. um you have to like submit a portfolio and all this stuff roman polanski the famed director who is now living in france because he can't be in america yeah the tate murders like roman polanski is teaching this class at nyu and he selects rodney by his portfolio and by his work to be in the class what it's not known that there's any sort of interaction between the two of them because it's still a big class yeah um but it's just kind of a weird little like story they're in the they're in the same room and yeah he was a professor and he was learning from him yeah (gasps) so he has all this experience and i want to say he graduates from nyu so he has all this stuff but now there's some heat that kind of bubbles back up because he's Rodney and Rodney has, he's on the American, on the yeah. wild list. He ends up teaching at a, like an all girls school. Oh. And he's at that girls school for like two years. Uh. And they did no background check. Uh. Was it like a private boarding school? Yeah. It's like a little pirate, oh, private school. No. So he's there and I think he is a, not a life coach, but like a, like a counselor. Mm-hmm. And I think he also probably teaches like, a theater class or a, mm-hmm. an art class in some capacity. But two students are at the post office yeah. and they <gasps> see 
the most wanted sign with oh. they're like that's mr burger oh my god so they go back and they talk to the dean and they're like we saw mr burger's photo at the post office yeah and the dean's like no and then he's like Bleh. so he calls it and he's like i know mr burger there's no way but like that's Good. a picture he's calling of him. he's yeah. calling okay um they pick him up this is where i want to make sure i get the details right because they pick him up mm-hmm. and they can't try him for Tolly, Tolly, Talia because she left the country. There's now no more witnesses. No. There's no... There's so no one to, to pursue the case. They're not going to get a conviction at the level that they want to. Yeah. So they get him to plead down and instead of trying to kill somebody because he had raped her, like there was bad stuff. Oh, he... Okay. He pleads it down to um, sex offense. So he's a registered sex offender. Okay. But none of the real trauma or crimes that should have are going to yeah. be on his so wait, did they put him on the fbi most wanted list just for that not just but like for that one case I think it was just for that one or case. was it cumulative okay um and again there's a really great uh 48 hours i think did an episode and there's mm-hmm. also a 48 hours podcast which i didn't know was a thing but there's oh. a 48 hours podcast about it and i think there's two because they've covered the story a couple times mm-hmm. um he murder so he's killing people in new york and it's not really known how many people he killed just casually killing well like they know some of them like there's uh, while he's going to school cornelia michael criley she's a 23 year old twa flight attendant Mm -hmm. and she's found raped and strangled in her apartment Mm -hmm. um that had remained unsolved until 2011 like a lot of this stuff like later gets solved so part of it is and i'll get to this later but um 48 hours had they they found so many photos um in his possession (gasps) of young girls of young women um of him with them of like long shots of them so there's all these photos on if you go to Uh 48hours.com because what they're thinking is if you recognize someone from the photo like they're trying to match missing women with the photos yeah um there was someone whose sister had been missing for decades and her son like saw the 48 hours episode and was like oh my mom's always talking about her sister yeah uh was like i think that's and then was like is this her (gasps) and like that's how they solved they were like oh then they tie it back to he was in wyoming at that time and i mean that was how they then tied it to a body that had been found imagine being that like I know maybe it wasn't Walgreens, but yeah. developing those photos Ugh. just like for this guy. Oh, my God. So he was added to the FBI Most Wanted list in 71, which is the same year that he's off at school. So mm-hmm. while the crime happened in 68, there it probably takes a little while to move up the list or move down the list or whatever it is. Um, so a few months after he's added to that list in 71, um, that was when the kids saw his picture so he wasn't on the list for very long before yeah. they caught it. so he'd been at the school for a while um but then they kind of catch on to that so they catch him he's like arrested in new hampshire wherever the school is and they're extracting him back to la but now they've lost the little girl's family mm-hmm. and that's why they have to uh plead him down so he pleads down to a lesser charge of assault he's paroled after 17 months no so would have murdered her. Yeah. Was caught in the act. Yeah. And just because of logistics. Logistics. Yeah. It oh. doesn't stick and he's free. I mean, so, on one side, that's good that our court system has those checks and balances. And at the same time, it's super case, frustrating. Yeah. 
1974, um, under the Indeterminate Sentencing Program, which was popular at the time, not really sure what that is, it allowed parole boards to release offenders as soon as they demonstrated evidence of rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you can say all the right things, out you go. Um, Less than two months after his release, he was rearrested after assaulting a 13-year-old girl identified in court records as Julie J., um, who had accepted what she thought would be a ride to school. No. So there's a very similar MO there. Yeah. Once again, he was paroled after serving two years of an indeterminate sentence. So he's so charming, he keeps mm-hmm. talking his way out of these. Um, in 1977, after his second release, um, Los Angeles parole officer took um, the unusual step of permitting a repeat offender. So he keeps mm-hmm. offending. Um, he allowed him, you're not allowed to leave the state. Mm-hmm. He allows him to take trips to New York. No. Multiple trips to New York he's allowed to go. Why? And now they're linking all these cold cases mm-hmm. with every time he was allowed to go on vacation to New York. Oh. So he wouldn't kill where he was. Yeah. He like liked to go <gasps> kill people in New York. No. Um, Why, what was his reasoning? He had family there or something? I, no. Ugh. He, uh, okay, so one of the people he killed in New York was Ellen Jane Hover. 23, she was the daughter of the owner of the popular Hollywood nightclub, uh, Kairos. She was the granddaughter, excuse me, the goddaughter of Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Whoa. Um, so that created a lot of yeah. buzz. At the same time that he's killing all these women in New York, New York is being, uh, they're scared, it's Son of Sam. Mm-hmm. It's the time of the prime and <laughs> women are getting murdered. Um, so it's just kind of adding to the hysteria. Wow. Of it. Did he know who he was killing there? I don't, because he would. Sometimes it was like crimes of convenience. Like he would just meet a girl and ask mm-hmm. her on a date, and then decide to kill her. Yeah. Um, we're almost to the timeline here. So, uh, 1978, he was a typesetter for the Los, uh, excuse me, Los Angeles Times. He would interview members of the Hillside, Hillside Strangler Task Force, and so he would like talk to police wow. officers. You can tell he's like getting his jollies oh off my by. God. Almost getting caught. Um, and getting intel, just yeah. how they think. Yeah. So, and like he would investigate them about known sex offenders. Like, again, he's using this other, like. How did he get this he'd job? Go in, he'd go in and out of names and he just wouldn't. Yeah. People don't do background checks, apparently. Yeah. Um, he was ruled out as the Hillside Strangler, um, but he was arrested and served a brief sentence for marijuana possession. So this is in the late 70s. Oh, so they thought he was weird. For, yeah, for <laughs> a little bit. They're considering him. Um he notoriously so he's called the dating game killer he's on an episode of the dating game wait this guy yes oh i've seen this video he's bachelor number one ah! he's super creepy ah! the lady's kind of an odd yeah lady yeah as yeah well. they have this like weird flirtation she chooses him uh-huh. he wins yes she will later back out of the date because uh-huh. she said he was too creepy yeah and he was mad about it he he had already killed people when he was on that show. He killed a ton of people. He'd been killing people for a decade. This when is he was why on show. I don't know names, but I know this case. <laughs> now that you told He's me, yeah. On here's what's nuts. Yeah. You watch the You watch the YouTube of it? His name is Rodney Alcala. <laughs> he did not change his name at all. Yeah. He's the same face and name from the FBI's most wanted list. Getting on this dating show. Wait, so FBI Most Wanted list happened and then he went on the dating show? FBI's Most Wanted list was in 71. Oh. He's on the dating game in like 78. <laughs> what a ballsy ass. He's just, yeah, it's crazy. And he keeps just not being in jail for very long. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so he's just murdering people left and right. At one point, um, he... So there's... I can't remember their names, but there's two women and they're friends. Mm-hmm. And they're young. They're both in their early 20s. So they're uh, out at the beach. They're just kind of like sunning and hanging out. And this guy comes up and he goes, hey... And he has a big camera around his neck. And he goes, would you would you mind if I take your photo? Can I take your picture? Mm-hmm. And they're both kind of like flattered, charmed by it. And then as he like starts, there's a voice from bef- uh, like from a side. Mm-hmm. And one of the girl's neighbors is like, hey, are you two gals okay? And like inserts herself. Yes. And he books it. Ugh. He's Red just, flag. he's immediately gone. Yeah. And it's off-putting to all of them. So the one friend says to her other friend, she's like, hey, I don't, because she had to leave. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want you going back to the house by yourself. Like, take my bike so that mm-hmm. you can get there faster. She's never seen again. No. No, no, no. Decades go by. Oh. She's, uh, they place it together with photos. Yeah. Later. That poor friend would, like, oh. had that bad feeling, was like, yeah, Here, please take this. Take so. my bike. And that <gasps> And didn't... he was just watching and stalking and, oh. Yeah. So he would deny, deny, deny and said, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Um, there's one, oh, so the, oh, I think it's, I think it's the woman from the beach. They figure out, anyway, there's one specific, uh, victim mm-hmm. that he's charged, found guilty, death penalty, and appeals it. They drop it. it goes, what? It goes back to trial. Found guilty, life in prison, or, uh, death penalty. Mm-hmm appealed what so there's this poor mother that's had to go through the trial twice she says at one point oh and he's crazy and he's being his own lawyer Mm -hmm. and he's like calling the mother up and he's like (gasps) on the stand asking her like so did you bring a gun to court and intended to kill me and she's like yes i did and then i like felt my daughter's presence and i decided that was Whoa. her telling me not to. Did they catch her with a gun or something? Or how did he know that? No, I think she like said something in an interview later. Um, but he like wanted to kind of smear it. But yeah. he's so nuts. It, I think, did the opposite effect. Yeah. He insisted on playing as his closing argument a Woody Guthrie song where it's just going, I want to kill. I want to kill. Why? Uh... So they're having all these issues with this one trial. Then, in a very bizarre move that was uncalled of or unheard of at the time, was L.A. prosecutors decide to lump five of the murders together mm-hmm. and try him for, like, as a serial killer, try him for all five, um, and he's found guilty of those five. That's what he's put away for. He gets, I think, the death penalty for those. Then New York is like, all right, now he's ours. You finish sentencing. So the reprieve to the mother was like, I know that even if the L.A. stuff falls away again, he didn't contest the New York murders Mm because now he's like, all right, I'm guilty of these five murders. They're putting me to death all this stuff. Um, So he pled guilty to the New York crimes. And you can't recant that. You can't be like, JK, I didn't mean it. Now I want a trial. So she's like, at the worst case... He's going away, away for those. all yeah. those in New York. Um, I think he died last year or shortly before. Yeah, there's no death. Oh, I remember what happened to him. He was at San Quentin. And then he, because he's very old and frail, he got moved to a medical prison mm-hmm. outside Fresno. Mm. And this one guy was like, I went to go visit him. And ugh, the conditions there are 
what you would imagine like a nightmare fueled psych prison oh god like paint peeling off the walls i, feel like, I thought we dealt away like, with those oh that makes me feel weird inside yeah uh yeah no i had i had heard that case before it's and like again i'm being kind of loose with the detail yeah there's so it's so crazy yeah. and there is so much if you're interested at all it yeah. is worth at the very least listening to that 48 hours podcast yeah um but there's like books written about it. I'm yeah. sure there's a little like weird documentaries. I but like like I was saying, I've seen that clip of him He's on the such game a, show. At the very least, people should watch that YouTube. Oh, He's such a it's strange feeling and like his smile and his hair. Oh. And it's just yeah. He's got dead eyes for sure. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, Jackie, that was a good one. Yeah, if you guys are interested in that case, I definitely recommend delving. Deeper I didn't into point it. out what my tie was. Oh yeah, what's your tie? Game of Thrones, the dating game. That was my tie. Our Game of Thrones drink. And he's the dating game killer. Oh, okay. I was like, I'm not. Game. I know the word is game. <laughs> game. Okay, got it. <laughs> that was good. How'd you search for that? I'm gonna be evasive like you. <laughs> Perfect. Great. All right. So I don't need another one of these. Definitely not. Cool. So I think we're just gonna plow right through this. Okay, Jackie. So I'm gonna tell you a murder. Ooh. <laughs> I know it's a twist. Um, okay. So on April 22nd, 2012. A house in North Bend, Washington catches on fire. Okay. For all of you out there who are wondering where North Bend, Washington is, we just had to look it up. It is, if you were looking at a map at Seattle, it's kind of like southeast. Okay. Yeah. So a neighbor sees the flames and they immediately call 911. Okay. Firefighters quickly get to the house and they try to go into the front door, but they realize that it's barricaded by a stereo like equipment system and furniture heavy stuff in front mm-hmm. of it yeah so uh authorities finally get in and they find seven gas cans placed all around the house okay. i think there's supposed to be a domino effect for an explosion of some but sort the fire got, got caught a little bit too early yes and so they're making their way through the house and they make it to the back bedrooms and they find the bodies of 41 year old lynette keller and her 18 year old daughter kayleen okay um they have both been shot in the head Peter Keller, who is Lynette's husband and Kayleen's father, is not at the scene. M.I.A. M.I.A. So now a little bit more about the family. So Kayleen was a very bright student and she wanted to study video game design. Oh, she's an older kid. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's 18. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So she's heading to college soon. Okay. Uh, and Lynette was in a workplace accident sev- several years prior to the fire. Okay. So she was unable to work. So she became a very avid, like, sca- uh, scrapbooker. And she, like, posted, like, videos of her scrapbooking online. She's keeping busy. She's keeping busy. And she also would do, like, crafts. And she would sell those, on f- like, at fairs and online as mm-hmm. well. Um, on top of that, she was able to collect a, a very small monthly disability check. Okay. Um, her husband, Peter, had a job refurbishing computers, um, but he was very stingy and dodgy with his money. Okay. And she, it doesn't, like, so she doesn't have a way of making her own money. Mm-hmm. So he's, I'm getting a sense that he's maybe a little bit controlling with the mm-hmm. finances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so he's being weird with his money. He even has multiple secret bank accounts. And this means that Lynette just doesn't have enough money sometimes mm-hmm. to buy things that like groceries and stuff. Well, Michael's is expensive. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, so she has to borrow money from her family on several occasions. Okay. So Lynette just believes that Peter is being stingy because he is saving up for the retirement. She, He's just a tightwad. Yeah. She's like, he is making us millions. Like when we mm-hmm. retire, we're going to be set. so fiscally responsible. You know. Yeah. 
Um, so as the years go on, Peter starts getting super into being a survivalist. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay. And he also starts taking up this hobby. Do- doomsday prepper? Is that what you call that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so he also takes up this hobby of just going out into the woods on weekends by himself. Oh, for no. many, many hours. Is he building like a weird kind of like cage crypt in the basement? I don't know. We're about to find out. <laughs> uh, so what is Peter doing out in the woods? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's prepping for the end of the world, of course. I mean, if you're going to come up with an alibi for why you're doing stuff like that, uh-huh. it's not a terrible alibi. It's not terrible. And it makes sense. I mean, if you have been through a disaster or a war, mm-hmm. it makes sense. You want to be prepared. Yeah. So There's um, plenty of people who aren't murdering people who are doomsday preppers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so more specifically, Peter has been slowly prepping and building a bunker mm-hmm. in the middle of the woods for Soundproof. the... Soundproof. <laughs> and he's bu- building this bunker for eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he even starts telling his wife and daughter about the bunker, and he calls it Camp Keller. And he even shows them a picture of it, but he never tells them the location. I just <laughs> took a little inhale, okay, and I was about to say I'm annoyed. <laughs> and then I remembered that earlier today, uh-huh. you told me, oh, my story is going to annoy you. <laughs> yes, it's annoying. I'm annoyed. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so now back to the house. Okay. Um, authorities find an unlocked safe containing photos of a bunker in the woods. Mm-hmm. Now, these pictures are in perfect condition because the fire hadn't spread to that area of the house yet. Okay. Yes. These are old school. Like, there's no way for us to get, like, geotags off these photos because they're not. It's hard copy yeah, photos. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, But he had left the safe open for um, the fire to come through. He, he thought the whole thing was going to go down in flames. Uh-huh. But that neighbor called the police right away and they got the fire department over there much quicker than he anticipated. So sometimes, sometimes you've <laughs> got to be a cop caller. Don't be a busybody. Don't be a busybody, but listen let to the hair lives. But also, like, if you think a crime's happening, don't just be like that. Not my chair. You know, <laughs> not my problem. <laughs> um, OK, so they have these pictures and they have Peter's phone records. So they're able to use the last known location on his phone to hone into his last known location. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> they enhance. <laughs> Enhance. 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 They enhance. I love, from a crime perspective, I love how little privacy everybody has. Uh-huh. It's just like, beep, boop, beep, you tried to get away. I have all this information about you. But then, Losers. like, civil liberties part of me is like, no, everyone's entitled to their own space. Um, Very conflicted. Um, so they enhance the photo of what they thought looked like a bunker. Okay. And a detective was able to use... triangulation Mm -hmm. to estimate where the bunker might be situated it's crazy how they'll go like i hear a train that sounds like the l in the background (laughs) yes or there's only one windmill that looks like that yes nuts so a little side um kyle was the one who told me this story originally that's right and so when i was telling we were doing wildfires he's like you have to do that case i told you and he actually did a ride-along with a police officer who told him about this case crazy and he was the police officer was telling him how they have a picture and by the way the sun was angled in the trees and Uh all this stuff that's how they were able to figure out crazy from a photo it's impressive it's super impressive you know what that involves? 
Science. Math. Oh, <laughs> that too. Yeah. yeah. Education. Stay, stay in school, kids. You do need math. <laughs> you do need that <laughs> when you're hunting down serial killers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so two deputies head out into the woods because now they have the last they known. They think they know where the bunker camera is. is, and yeah, the photo. And so they start interviewing hikers if they had like seen anything <gasps> weird. What? Someone we know found a bunker in the middle yes! of nowhere. Yes. And they didn't open it. No, they tried. <laughs> no, they didn't. Yes, they no, did. they didn't. Yes, no, they didn't. He said that he tried to open it, and it. He felt. Yeah, wait, no, you're right. And then it, there was like a. <laughs> and then his wife was like, "I mean, there's probably someone on the inside holding the shit <laughs> because, because it was it, unlocked. Was, it was unlocked. Yeah. So I, I do. I think it's straight up Desmond out of Lost. There is someone down in that. We hatch have to call somebody. That was holding it shut. We have there's to call somebody to it. I we mean, have to call somebody. Yeah. Okay. And awesome. I'll probably cut that, but <laughs> yeah, Bunker Town, USA. So they're going out in a pair. There's two of them. Yeah, yeah. This isn't like Silence of the Lambs, like send the new intern out to the house <laughs> no, with the killer and no. figure it out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so they're out there and they're in, they're kind of like disguised as locals and they start talking to local hikers. You know, they probably have some binos around their neck. <laughs> They got some. That's you know, a warbler, quick, some warbly quick dry shorts on. <laughs> I, I like... think it's a oh, wobble throated pince pantser. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, so they're out there. They're doing the thing. They're doing yeah. some groundwork, and they run into some hikers, and they're like, "Have you seen anything?" Yeah, and they're like, "Yeah, like we keep seeing this red 1994 Toyota pickup out here, and it's like always up by Rattlesnake Ridge Trailhead." I first of all, I love this. Okay, this is hikers, man. They're paying attention to their surroundings. Uh-huh. You notice when things are... I love it. Yeah. I love... Now, as annoyed as I was, I love your story. Um, and little fun fact, that's the same model of car Peter has. Weird. Yeah. It's all starting to line up. <laughs> so they head up there and locate some off-trail footprints that look like military-style boots, and they also smell smoke from a campfire. Mm. So... They're like, we need backup. Yeah. <laughs> so they call for more SWAT team I members. I would imagine he's probably an armed individual. Mm-hmm. Survivalist. Mm-hmm. So. so they get more SWAT team members out there and they start hiking through the super dense forest. Because they don't know exactly where they're going. Exactly. Yeah. They have a general idea. Yes. But this forest isn't like, now you're off the path. It is so dense. Well, it's, and I imagine this is so if they're living a little bit east southeast of seattle like mm-hmm. it's lush mm-hmm. it's rains a ton like mm-hmm. i'll bet it is it's like dense dense yeah green forest. forest so the train is so difficult to walk through that one deputy severely sprained an ankle mm-hmm. um and others became extremely dehydrated and were given iv fluids because they're out there for a while Dang. and um they're, they're they're having a hard time yeah uh they eventually have to well, use... are these like desk guys are these yeah. <laughs> hikers that they have out there um well and they have all their gear yeah. you know they eventually have to use a helicopter to bring in more SWAT team mm-hmm. members um, once they do find the bunker. Let me reposition. <laughs> so. They found the bunker. They found the bunker. So at 7.34 a.m. on April 27th, Sergeant Cindy West sends a note to the Seattle area reporters asking that the location of the search for Peter not be reported because they are afraid that Peter has a radio or a scanner. So they're like they, silent. There are they assuming that the news people probably have like a mole in the police department. Uh-huh. Like, this is going to yeah. leak to you. Yeah. 
it's so dangerous for us if you report on yes. us. Yes, yes. And I think there is normally, I would like to think, TV and movies have led me to believe mm-hmm. that there's a an understanding between police and journalism to a certain extent. You're thinking of House of Cards? No. Oh, yeah. But where there's just kind of this, hey, I will give you the story, but mm-hmm. you got like... Save our safe, lives. Safety first. Yeah. yeah. And um, just to let you know... Every all those um, Seattle-based area uh, reporters had a radio sentence for eight hours. Like they adhered to everything. Rad. Yeah. Um, so good on you guys for doing that. Uh, Fake news. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so SWAT is waiting outside the bunker, and they can see lights going on and off throughout the night. Uh, so he's in that bunker. Okay, wait. They yeah. get out there at seven thirty in the morning. So by seven, so they're out there all night. Sorry, they're out there all night and they're watching. Yeah, and then they radio to the reporters. They're like, "Do not give our location." Okay, and so now like it's going they're waiting into, for like yeah. seven thirty is when they're yeah. gonna make the move. Yeah, okay. So SWAT is waiting outside, um, and then they decide they're gonna tear gas him. Mm-hmm. Kind of like flash bomb, boom, uh-huh. disorient yeah. you, in we come. But nobody comes out. They don't hear any screams. Nothing's happening. And what they don't know is that Peter has a gas mask. Okay. It's one of the first thoughts I had. Yeah. He's a doomsday prepper. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't he have a gas mask? Yeah. yeah. So they're like, crap, what are we going to do? Because he's a survivalist, they are worried that he has booby traps all over the place. I'm sure he does. So they are just like on high alert and they're going very, very slowly. Yeah. So they Oh, are- this is... What a nightmare system for them. Yeah. And just meant... Like, you can look up uh, the pictures later. You can see pictures of the bunker. You can see, like, the position. It's kind of on a slope. What did he... Do you just dig it out and then like reinforce it with wood? Mm-hmm. Do you use that I'm gonna kind of go into shipping detail. container? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I love this story. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say you love all my stories? Yeah. No, I'm butt in. I love stories. <laughs> um, so they are at a standoff for 22 hours. I imagine they're like megaphoning like, get out. Hey, what's his name? Peter. Peter. <laughs> Come out with your hands oh. up. Um, so finally SWAT is like, we're going to make our move. We think it's safe. You can't Let's even wait him out. Like he's not going to get hungry in there. Like he yeah. has everything. <laughs> he's been building this thing for he, eight yeah. years. He's not even like <laughs> drinking his own urine. The dude is fine. <laughs> he's watching HBO. Yeah. <laughs> he's good. Um, so they enter the bunker and once inside, they find Peter dead. Oh, from a self-inflicted gun yeah. wound to the head. So authorities start going through the bunker and they find 13 guns, a scope, body armor, shelves and shelves of ammunition, bulletproof vests, a stove, and PVC pipes that diverted water from a nearby stream inside. Yeah. yeah. He also had thousands and thousands of dollars inside the bunker and he had it like all in bundles and it was placed right next to his explosives. (laughs) Um, So there's all his money. Yeah. Um, they also find video diaries. Hmm. In the videos, Peter admits to killing his wife and daughter. Do we know why? You kind of, I'll kind of okay. tell you. Um, so they, they start going through all the videos and Peter's just kind of rambling. Mm-hmm. Um, on video, Peter says, I'm getting to the point where just trying to live and pay bills and live as a civilian and go to work. It just freaks me out. It's so a- the, the, the machine is just kind of crushing mm-hmm. him. It's actually more comfortable for me to think about living out here, robbing banks, pharmacies, just taking what I want for as long as I can. I mean, he at the point that he got to, mm-hmm. he could have just lived as a hermit in his little hole. Mm-hmm. He had enough money saved away that he doesn't even need to rob places because mm-hmm. his needs are so 
low. Yeah. Like, he could have just unplugged and run away. Mm-hmm. But instead, he decided to kill his wife and daughter. Yeah. Um. So, apparently, he had been planning their murders for a long time. Um, Why? In the video, he also says, I do have my escape, and that's death. I can always shoot myself, and I'm okay with that. I'm so bothered, but I would like to understand a little bit more of the psychology, too. I'm so bothered by the murder-suicide. Mm-hmm. That if you know that you're going to die, mm-hmm. the, the actions ga- before that, mm-hmm. I just don't, Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. Um, he also acknowledges he used to think that his actions were crazy. Like on the film, he's like, I know this is crazy, but like I've come to terms with it and like it makes sense now. Like he had that interesting foresight and like knowledge yeah. of it. it. It was, it's where you can watch I don't know if you can watch all of it, but you yeah. can watch some of the videos. He's just out in the woods. The camera's just pointed. He's like mm-hmm. pointed at him. Um, he's real casual about everything. He kind of chuckles to you at some points. Um, they also find sketches and outlines of the bunker and included notes about eventually building a lab space to study viruses. Um, it also showed how he used a rope and pulley system to pull larger logs in place and he even built an elaborate cement foundation and wood burning stove just like a smart dude Mm -hmm. that just didn't really want to be a part of everything else Mm -hmm. but he could have went about it he could i don't know if you are having a boring life you could have got a divorce that's exciting that seems like turmoil (laughs) if you need some turmoil in your life like yeah yeah yeah, I know. People get really enmeshed in this little bubble mm-hmm. and thinking that there's all these walls that aren't really there. Yeah, there's ways out. Feel yeah. like your life change it, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be in a totally negative, impactful way to others. Yeah, and like I think a lot of people listening and like us, yeah, we have the rare opportunity to have to have the ability to change your life. If you, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So. That kind of wraps up the case. That's crazy. Um, there is um, a scholarship fund that was created for Lynette and Kaylin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was established at the Seattle Foundation, and it supports students who want to attend Redmond's DG Penn Institute of Technology, as Kaylin had wanted to do. Dang. Um, some of the money for the scholarship fund was donated from the money found in Peter's bunker. Mm-hmm. And that's the story of Peter Keller. I caramba. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Whew. Murder. Wildfire. Wildfire. Fire. <laughs> fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fire. Yeah, fire. Yeah. Rolling. That was my, Game of Thrones my connection. We got to get that noise in there. Dun, 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 dun. Jackie, are you reading, listening, watching anything exciting? Yeah. What did I... I remember I started something. I went, oh, I'll talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I was surprised that there's a 48 Hours podcast. That's awesome. I'm going to check that out for sure. Because... And it's silly in all the ways that 48 Hours is silly, where they'll make really bad puns, and there's ominous music. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little campy in that way. But. Yeah. Kai wanted us to do that to our podcast. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> That's more work. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're so casual. Um, I This week got away from me. I've been so busy. I was supposed to watch the next episode of The Act. Oh, and yeah. chat with our good friend on Instagram mm-hmm. about all the details and her show notes, and they're so funny. Um, but and I was also going to color my hair last night. I don't know uh, with that overtone stuff I keep seeing on Instagram. Oh, I don't think I know. Um, but anywho, I haven't done any of that. Mm-hmm. I haven't really been listening into anything. Uh, haven't really been listening to anything. Um, but I would say if you haven't yet 
go listen to Serial. Oh. Yeah. The one that kicked it off. Yeah. Serial's great. I did. I finished the HBO doc oh, on Adnan Syed. I, uh-huh. Uh, what else did I watch this week? Game of Thrones, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Yeah, just catching up on New Girl. Yeah. Yeah, and if you guys don't know, Serial is a kind of episodic... Um, one story. One story. Over week. Yeah. <laughs> it and, spurred out of This American Life, so it's mm-hmm. got a very This American Life framing to it. Um, Sarah Koenig's the host. Mm-hmm. And then the first season is Adnan Saeed, which mm-hmm. there's a HBO documentary, which is also really good to watch. Mm-hmm. Second season, I didn't listen to because you told me not to. I didn't phrase it that way, okay. so I just don't expect it to be the same. Okay. I think it's worthwhile. It's worth listening to. Okay. But you will not be as enamored and enthralled as you were in the first season because it was so novel and it's mm-hmm. so different. Yeah. Um, the first season, Sarah's leading it and she's having the conversation. So it's her personality and Adnan's personality mm-hmm. and then investigative work and all that. And in season two, it's tapes that she's acquired of someone else who was writing mm-hmm. a book or writing a mm-hmm. movie interviewing Bo Bergdahl. And so it's not her pushing the narrative yeah. and then it's her trying to figure out things about Bo. So she's still investigating stuff. She's leading the story. It, it's just so different. Yeah. Um, and the third season's really good. I just haven't listened to all of it. But oh, that's the one where they're yeah. giving the breakdown on how the court system works, which it's, is It's awesome. amazing. It's like, I think it's the Ohio court system mm-hmm. and they allow them to take video recordings into awesome. the courtrooms and you get this whole other view it's, it's you amazing see, you hear lawyers and judges talk about like oh this is this is the system working and mm-hmm. you're like mm. that sounds like it's not working yeah yeah but did it's you, a good reality check did you listen to uh s town shit town no Mm-mm. so it's again from this american life but from the producers of serial mm-hmm. and it's a different dude but that is a crazy st- – it starts out like it's going to be kind of similar to Serial where it's going to be kind of a true crime kind of, and it just completely goes off the rails Ooh. in a really great way. Yeah. Um, and it's really just kind of a slice of life you learn about this very interesting dude. Um, but Shit Town's really good. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I'll listen to that next – no, I will listen to that next. <laughs> All right. Well, that's been another week of Killer Cocktails. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, for up to date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at MichelleFirmDesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs> he's going to school he gets his degree in this other name i don't know how you could like nowadays yeah there's no way you go to school under a different name i know well no if you get the documents i feel like you can forge the like i feel like hackers you just be a hacker and you change some stuff there's like social security numbers and stuff involved you can get a social security number no i just you know a guy (laughs) do you want a baby tiger all you have to do is know a guy all right (laughs)